Appreciate it. You brought a Bible, say amen. Let me invite you to open it with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 11 this morning. Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. If you're visiting with us, we're going verse by verse through this Gospel. And last Sunday, we talked about Jesus and how he was someone stronger. But this Sunday, we're going to talk about Jesus once again, but also magnify the fact that he is someone greater. So Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 29. If you'll stand with me in honor of God's word this morning, uh, take a look at what your Bible says. You got it there in front of you. Say yes. And notice what the Bible says. As the crowds were increasing, Jesus began to say, uh, this generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar, nor under a basket, but on the lampstand, so that those who enter may see the light. The eye is the lamp of your body. Whenever your eye is clear, your whole body also is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Then watch out that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light, with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illumined, as when the lamp illumines you with its rays." Let's bow together. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask that you would grant uh, strength during this hour, that the Word of God might be proclaimed and preached as you desire. And Father, I pray the Holy Spirit would preach uh, through me this morning. And God, I ask that you would speak to those who do not have a personal relationship with you, and you would draw them to salvation. And those perhaps who are walking a guilty distance and not sold out to you, God, I pray that you'd bring them back. And Father, they would be passionately devoted to this gospel, to the Son of God. And Father, also I pray for those in the building today, perhaps who've shown up and they are not followers. They don't know you personally. And God, I ask that you would just grant them the ability to see the truth of the gospel. And then, Father, uh, put it upon this church to not only be uh, praying for those who are lost and without Christ, but seeking those who are far from God that they might come to know you personally. And we'll give you glory for what you do this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. And you can uh, be seated. So let me begin kind of with a question this morning. Have you ever heard someone make the statement, I will not believe it until I see it with my own eyes? You ever heard somebody say that before? That's the question. Y'all answering and say yes? Good deal. Well, this kind of attitude is actually laced with both cynicism and skepticism. The culture in which you and I live today has this kind of attitude when it comes to believing in God and His Son, Jesus Christ. The trends in mainline American culture show that belief in God continues to plummet. A recent American Values survey conducted by the Pew Research Center uncovered a scary fact that among those born after 1983, belief in God has dropped 15 points. Almost 40% of young Americans at some point in time have denied or doubted the existence of God. To quote the research, young Americans are abandoning God in droves. Now, as we continually are bombarded with chaos in our culture, the cynicism will only rise as it pertains to belief in God. Viewing the destruction of the World Trade Center towers, hearing of mass shootings in the malls, political rallies, 
movie theaters and schools, many have come away asking, if God does exist, then why doesn't he stop all of this madness? If God is out there, why doesn't he reveal himself? Why doesn't the Lord give us a sign? Ravi Zachariah in his book, The Grand Weaver, which I'm reading now, writes this, quote, Out of the thousands of letters that I receive each year, many from skeptics. A recent one stands out. The writer asks simply, why has God made it so difficult to believe in him? If I loved somebody and had infinite power, I would use that power to show myself more obviously. Why has God made it so difficult to see his presence and his plan? Now that is a daunting question. One that many theologians have referred to as the hiddenness of God. However, this is not a new question. Jesus, while upon the earth, faced cynics on a regular basis who were not convinced that he was the Son of God. Those who were most skeptical of Jesus Christ were actually those who were most knowledgeable of the Old Testament scriptures. They were the religious of the day. They were the people, if you said, show us the ones who walk with God. They would bring you straight to these individuals, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees. They could quote from the Old Testament law. They knew very quickly how to tell you exactly what the prophets of the Old Testament had said and what they had prophesied, both the major prophets and the minor prophets. However, what is wild about these individuals and is ironic to me is that it would seem those who knew the Old Testament the best would be able to look at the person of Jesus Christ and see that he was the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament. Jesus says in Luke chapter 24 that the Old Testament law, the prophets, and the book of Psalms actually speak about him. So think about that for just a moment. These individuals had spent their entire life looking at the Old Testament, studying it, memorizing it, looking and waiting for the Messiah King sent from God who would redeem Israel. They were looking for the King. And then Jesus, God in the flesh, is standing right in front of them and intellectually they knew the Old Testament, but they could not spiritually perceive the reality that Jesus was indeed God's Son. So they studied the Scripture, but they missed the very one of whom the Scripture spoke. Now that could be a warning to you this morning. Are y'all listening? Say yes. You come to church Sunday after Sunday. You study the Bible. You know the New Testament. You know the Old Testament. You know what the prophets have said. You know what Jesus has said. And you listen and you hear and intellectually, you can pretty much quote the story of the Scripture. However, spiritually, your eyes still have not been opened. So intellectually, you know all about the gospel of Jesus Christ, but you have yet to genuinely render your heart over to the Lord, giving yourself to him by faith. It doesn't matter how much you know intellectually. You can know all about it intellectually and totally miss the Son of God, the very ones of whom the Scripture speak about. Now, as we read through the New Testament, we discover that Luke gives an account of what we just read in verses 29 through 36, where they are asking for a sign. We also know, according to Matthew's gospel, that there were some of the scribes and the Pharisees who were demanding Jesus. They were saying, teacher, we want a sign from you. Luke magnifies the fact that they not only were asking for a sign, but they were actually demanding a sign. Give us some proof that you are indeed Jesus sent from God, the long-awaited Messiah. In essence, they were saying, we will not believe it until we can see it with our own eyes. 
And this morning, we see how Jesus responds to a demand for proof. And as followers of Christ, we will learn how to answer those who were skeptical about the person of Jesus. And there continues to be those in our day who say, why doesn't God give us a sign? Why doesn't he make it overwhelmingly plain that he exists and that what he said was indeed true? Why doesn't he give us a sign? So how do we respond to that? Here's the first way we respond to that. A sign has been given. A sign has been given. Look in your Bible at verse 29. The Bible says, as the crowds were increasing, Jesus began to say, this generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. Jesus begins by identifying the root problem of humanity. He says that the generation in which he's speaking to is a wicked generation. And that is true of all generations. The word wicked speaks of being evil and guilty. The term evil magnifies one's inner heart condition. Jesus Christ is still telling them that their hearts are wicked above all things. That's true of our generation as well. There uh, is the reality in the New Testament. The Bible teaches that the devil, the little G God of this world, has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so that they would not see the glorious reality of Jesus Christ the Son. So the Bible says that the devil has blinded the eyes from people seeing Jesus Christ as their Savior. But we also know the Bible teaches that because of an individual's sin, their hardness of heart, they continue to reject the person of Jesus Christ. So they are blinded by the enemy, and in rejection, they push away the truth about the Lord Jesus. And this is ingrained in humanity. The Bible teaches that we are born sinners and live in rebellion to the authority of God in His Son, Jesus Christ. And a rebellious soil always grows the weeds of cynicism and skepticism. The only sign which Jesus promised was actually the sign of Jonah. Matthew's gospel adds to this conversation between Jesus and the crowds, where Matthew says in Matthew 12 and verse 40, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now listen, Jonah was a rebellious prophet of God who refused to go to Nineveh and cry out to them because of their rebellion. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, which was the rising world power during the days of Jonah. Assyria was a symbol of terror and tyranny in the Near East for more than three centuries. The Assyrians were ruthless warriors who conquered city after city, nation after nation. History teaches us that they were ruthless men who held no regard for human life. They were filled with violence, uh, showing no mercy toward any outsider. They skewered live victims on sharp poles, leaving them to roast to death in the desert sun. They beheaded people by the thousands and stacked their skulls up in piles by the city gates. And they even skinned people alive. They respected neither age nor sex and followed a policy of killing babies and young children so they wouldn't have to care for them. And on top of all of this, they were Gentiles. They had not received the covenant promise from God, which was given to Israel in the Old Testament. And now God was calling one of his prophets, Jonah, and saying, Go to Nineveh and declare that my wrath is about to come upon them, and they must repent. Go and preach that message. But Jonah didn't want to go and preach that message. In fact, the Bible teaches us that he ran in the opposite direction. His rebellion eventually had him thrown overboard into the sea. And the Bible teaches that God sovereignly had him swallowed up by a great fish. Jesus describes the fish as a sea monster. 
Now, I know some people look at that story and they say, there's no way that that could happen. I don't believe that. Well, Jesus said it, so I'm down with it. Y'all all right? So I can choose to either believe you or Jesus. Let me weigh those odds. Now, the Bible teaches he was in the monster for three days and three nights, and then he was vomited up by the fish on the dry land. So what happened to Jonah was a foreshadowing of what would happen to Jesus. Jonah was swallowed up by great fish because of his rebellion. Listen, Jesus would be swallowed up by death because of our rebellion. Jonah was vomited up by the fish. Jesus would be uh, vomited up, so to speak, from the dead in the resurrection. Notice what Jesus says in verse 30. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be a sign to this generation. So as Jonah entered into Nineveh to preach God's word, his testimony would have been one of death, being swallowed up by a sea monster. His testimony would have been one of burial, having been taken down into the sea. His testimony would have also been one of resurrection, having been spit up by a great fish. Jonah's type of death, burial, and resurrection gave proof to the Ninevites that the message he preached was indeed from God. Now... In our current culture and in the text, Luke chapter 11, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus would become the sign to this generation that the message of Jesus, which was preached, was indeed from the Lord. As well, the message of Jonah went to the Gentiles, so the message of Jesus, the gospel, would go to the Gentiles. In Luke's gospel, we are discovering and will find that Jesus said, I come to seek and save that which was lost. So herein we begin to see the great sign which God has given all of humanity that he exists. And there's absolutely no doubt that God has already set the stage to declare his existence. I told you this last week, but I'll remind you, creation declares the glory of God. As James is talking about the moon and the sun, that is God's way of simply saying, I exist. I am here. But he uh, really magnifies the reality of who he is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how do we know Jesus represented God? How do we know that John chapter 1 is true? Where the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then John chapter 1 and verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten from God the Father. How do we know all of that is true? Because of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives credence and authenticity to every single thing that he said. So when Jesus Christ spoke about the reality of God the Father, we should listen. When Jesus Christ spoke about the reality of judgment, speaking of those who reject him as going to hell, those who received him as spending eternity in heaven, since he got up from the dead, we ought to pay attention to what he says. Now, if Jesus Christ has not been resurrected this morning, if Jesus Christ is still in the tomb, then he is simply another religious leader who lived over 2,000 years ago who simply died. Therefore... Why would we listen to what he has to say? So when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to God the Father but through me. If Jesus were still dead, why would we believe that statement? 
When Jesus speaks about the fact in John's gospel, he says, Behold, I am going away, but I soon will come again. I'll be at my father's house building a mansion for you. And then when it is time, I will come and bring you to myself. Why would we believe that if Jesus' body were still in the tomb? But because Jesus has been resurrected from the dead, we better believe every single word he's ever said. And we better listen to his message. Now herein, we begin to see the sign which Jesus and the Father have given to our generation. The sign of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That is where we point. So when somebody says, I wish the Lord would give us a sign. Be like, he did. There's an empty tomb. That's the sign. Now, Paul the Apostle gives great attention to the resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to preach this morning whether y'all want me to or not. Y'all all right? But he talks about the resurrection of Jesus because he understands its importance. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 and 17, If Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. If Jesus didn't get up from the dead, all of us are still sinners with the wrath of God looming over our life. There's no hope if Jesus has not been raised. Now, the only way that we can really authenticate the resurrection of Jesus is to become more or less like an investigator and begin to ask questions. And so let's just for a moment pretend that we are in a courtroom. You guys are sitting in attendance and uh, let's say I'm the lawyer, and I have the opportunity now to call some people to the stand and question them. First person I would like to call would be Peter. Peter takes his uh, seat and promises to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And then as he's speaking, he may say, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> Just thought of that. <laughs> Peter, excuse me, I need to ask you a few questions. What is your relationship with Jesus? Uh, well, I was an early follower of Jesus. I saw with my own eyes his miracles of healings, his authority over demons, and even heard his message preached. I was very, very close to him. Well, Peter, isn't it true that you denied Jesus prior to him being put to death on the cross? Didn't you deny him like three times? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Matter of fact, Jesus told me that I would do that, but I didn't believe it. But I not only denied him, I cussed the name of Jesus to a little girl who tried to say that she had seen me with him. Well, Peter, why is it this morning that you stand before this courtroom and declare that Jesus Christ was indeed God's son, the Messiah? Can you explain why you have flipped your story? You denied Christ, but now you are living for him? Well, yes. The reason I went from being a denier of Jesus before his death to a person willing to die for Jesus and his message of forgiveness was because I saw him. What do you mean, Peter, when you say that you saw him? Oh, I mean, I saw him get up from the dead. I saw him resurrected. Now listen, Peter, who was once afraid of being exposed as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ by a young girl, after the resurrection, this denier was transformed into a lion of faith and he stood up and preached the first sermon of the New Testament church and boldly proclaimed the death of Jesus Christ, boldly proclaimed the burial of Christ, and also boldly proclaimed the resurrection of Christ. And when the people heard it, they said, what should we do? How should we respond? And Peter said, you all repent and be saved. And so Peter went from being a denier of Christ to becoming one of the greatest preachers of the gospel of Jesus. 
And the Bible also teaches that, and history teaches this, that Peter, who was once a denier, was crucified upside down on a cross for his faith. So what led a man to go from denying Christ to dying for him? The resurrection. Now, if we could call the other apostles to the stand, they would all give testimony as well to the resurrection of Jesus. Luke chapter 24, Jesus presented himself from the dead saying this, Why are you troubled? Uh, why do you have doubts letting them rise up in your heart? See my hands and my feet? It is I myself. Touch me and see. Spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So the Lord Jesus, after his resurrection, was not afraid of those who were skeptical of him. Even those who walked with him for three and a half years prior to his death, he would come to them even in their skepticism. He'd say, y'all don't believe it? Check these scars out. You don't believe what you see? Reach out there and touch it. So they would touch it. And the Bible teaches historically that these men who once sought to deny Jesus and hide from the government for fear of his their own death became great message givers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Historically, we find that Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross for his faith. James was killed for his faith. Philip was stoned to death for his faith. Nathaniel was tied in a sack and thrown into the sea for his faith. Matthew was burned at the stake for his faith. Thomas was run through with a spear for his faith. So why would these men who d uh, hid before the death of Jesus Christ, why would these men now give themselves over to the message of Jesus Christ because of the resurrection? And they would all testify to it. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, they were convinced after Jesus presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs. So the Lord Jesus proved to them that he had been raised from the dead. And then if we could call a massive skeptic to the stand, we'd have to call James. James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. According to James, or John chapter 7 and verse 5, James did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. James why did you not believe Jesus? Well, you know, I always knew Jesus was different. And uh, when he started talking about being the Messiah, God's son, I was pretty sure he was a lunatic and had lost it. I thought to myself, Jesus, you're my brother, man. We used to hang out in the carpentry house and play together. How in the world do you speak like this? Well, let me ask you, James, do you believe now? I sure do, without a doubt. Well, what changed? I saw my brother get up from the dead. That's what changed. Author Hank Hanegraaff writes, quote, James, the half-brother of Jesus, who once hated everything his brother stood for, after the resurrection calls himself a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to James 1 and 1. As a matter of fact, this skeptic took such a stand for Jesus Christ that the Jewish historian Josephus wrote this, quote, James was stoned to death illegally by the Sanhedrin sometime after A.D. 60 for his faith. And then finally, if we could call Paul to the stand, we could interview him as well. Paul, tell us, have you always been a follower of Jesus? Uh, no, 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 not always. I used to hate Jesus. Hated everyone who stood for him and his message. I'm not even fit to be called an apostle. I persecuted the church. I sought to have Christians put to death, but by the grace of God, I am what I am today. Well, what changed? Why did you leave the life of a persecutor and become a preacher? What's the difference? I saw him alive from the dead. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul the Apostle was the last individual to see the resurrected Lord before he went on into glory.
But he saw him face to face. And the Bible teaches that he witnessed him while he was on a road called Damascus. But after he had witnessed him, he was put on a road called Straight. Can I say something to you this morning? When you genuinely come into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and you see him for the glorious fact of who he is and you offer your heart over to him, God always takes you off the street you've been walking on and puts you on a street called Straight that leads all the way to glory. Now, Paul was an eyewitness, all these eyewitnesses. Do you know there's actually some more eyewitnesses, about 500 of them. Y'all still out there say yes? The Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 6 that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Paul the Apostle speaks of that. 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus Christ all at once. And I like how Paul the Apostle writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 6. He says he appeared to over 500 people. You don't believe me, go ask them. <laughs> Y'all all right? So you, don't, you, don't, you don't listen to me, go find them people. Man, they'll tell you. They've seen him. There's no lack of witnesses. No lack of witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Many saw him alive. Many went to their own death testifying about his death, burial, and resurrection. So make no mistake about it this morning. There are still many people who go against the resurrection and seek to disprove it. But why do they do that? Why do they want to disprove the resurrection? They want to disprove the resurrection because if Jesus did get up from the dead, they're in trouble. Y'all all right? That's about as plain as I can be. Well, let's call some of those skeptics to the stand. Uh, sir, tell me, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? No, I do not. Well, what, what do you think happened? Well, I believe there might be some merit to what many people call the swoon theory. I don't believe Jesus actually died on the cross. Instead, he merely fainted. Then they carried him to the tomb, and later he was revived. So it is your contention, then, that Jesus, after receiving a savage beating with a cat of nine tails by the Romans, after being beaten in the face repeatedly, his beard plucked out, after being crowned with a crown of uh, thorns that was, were six to nine inches long, pressing down into his skull, after then being tortured greatly by being hung on a cross with nails in his hands and his feet, then after being pierced through his side with a spear, and then being declared dead by the Roman guards, then being put into a borrowed tomb, and then that borrowed tomb having a stone rolled in front of it by many men to cover its entrance. And then those guards were watching the tomb. It is your contention that somehow Jesus fainted on the cross. Everybody thought he was dead. While he was in the tomb, he came about. And somehow or another, after being beaten all day long, mustered up the strength to push away the massive stone by himself beat down the guards, then walk around and find all of his disciples and convince them that he had a resurrected body. Is that what you're trying to condemn? That Jesus Christ did all of that? Response. I know there might be some flaws in that argument. <laughs> That's an understatement. Dr. Alexander Metherell says this about Jesus. After suffering that horrible abuse, with all that catastrophic blood loss and trauma, Jesus would have looked so pitiful that his disciples would never have nailed him or held him as a victorious conqueror of death. 
They would have felt sorry for him, tried to nurse him back to health. It is preposterous to think that if he had appeared to them in that awful state, his followers would have been prompted to start a worldwide movement based on the hope that someday they too would have a resurrection body like his. <laughs> now, there's other skeptics we could bring up. Uh, let's call up the second skeptic. Y'all with me? Say yes. This is all happening in my brain, so I'm just making sure y'all with me. Next skeptic comes up. Excuse me, sir, let me ask you a question. You believe in the resurrection of Jesus? No. Well, tell me, what do you think? Well, I believe those 500 people that all claim to have seen Jesus, I believe they all had a mass hallucination. What? That is an argument. It ain't a good one, but it is one. Psychologist Dr. Collins says this. Hallucinations are individual occurrences. By their very nature, only one person can see a given hallucination at a time. They certainly aren't something which can be seen by a group of people. Neither is it possible that one person could somehow induce a hallucination in somebody else. Since all hallucinations exist only in this subjective, personal sense, it is obvious that others cannot witness it. Can I give y'all layman's terms of what he's saying? Yeah, that, that mass hallucination, that didn't happen. <laughs> it can't happen. It's an impossibility. So somebody says, well, why doesn't God just give us proof that he exists? Why doesn't God reveal himself? Why doesn't God give us a sign that we may believe? And we repeat the statement of Jesus, a sign has been given. And the sign is Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Amen? Amen. Point number two that we move right into when talking to a skeptic, you must respond to the sign given by faith. You need to respond. You need to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who got up from the dead. Notice in your Bible, verse 31. Y'all still with me? Say yes. Y'all still with me? Say yeah. Verse 31. Here we go. The queen of the south will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them. Because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now we read about the queen of Sheba in 2 Chronicles chapter 9. She had heard about the wisdom of Solomon and also heard about the riches of Solomon. Here's what she said before she packed up and went over to see Solomon. She said, I don't believe about the wisdom of Solomon and his riches and I will not believe it till I see it with my own eyes. So the Bible says that she got over there, she asked some questions of Solomon and came to find out he was wise, come to find out he was rich. Now, what she's doing here is she becomes an individual who stands up and condemns this generation. In other words, uh, Jesus is basically teaching, you didn't have to travel to find the truth like the Queen of Sheba. I came to you as the truth, right in front of your face. And not only that, the wisdom that I'm sharing with you, this wisdom is greater than the wisdom of Solomon. So if the queen of Sheba, who traveled to discover the truth, believed it, and you now are receiving greater truth, greater truth, how much more should you believe what I'm telling you? Jesus spoke about the wisdom of salvation. Jesus spoke about the wisdom of God, and the people rejected it. And Jesus said, the queen of south will rise up and condemn you for your rejection of me at the judgment. Verse 32 in your Bible, the men of Nineveh will stand up with the, this generation at the judgment and condemn it. Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Look at the preacher. Here's what the Lord Jesus is saying. And this is a, an amazing passage here. Jesus is saying, when the Ninevites heard the message of Jonah, they repented and they believed. And now, because you are hearing the message sent from God's Son, 
and you are rejecting it, know this, the people of Nineveh in the day of judgment will stand up and point a finger of condemnation at you. And here's what they would say. They would say, how in the world could you not listen to Jesus? We listened to Jonah, never seen him before, but he showed up. He declared God's grace and God's judgment, and we responded. But Jesus, God in the flesh, came. How in the world did you not pay attention to him? Now listen closely. All of y'all in the building today have greater truth presented to you in this century than those in Nineveh. You have greater proof given to you in this century than those in Luke chapter 11. Jesus was speaking about his death, burial, and resurrection to come. They had not experienced that yet. We have the truth about the death, burial, and resurrection. We have the testimony of all of the New Testament authors about the person of Jesus Christ. We have all of this given to us. Plus, you got preachers who are delivering the gospel of Jesus Christ. And some of you are still hard-hearted and rejecting it. Now think about this for just a moment. I want you to know, some of you sit in the pew and you say, if Jesus would just show himself, I would believe. When I see Jesus, I will believe. Please listen. If you wait until the day that you see Jesus Christ face to face, you will have waited too long. The only time that you're going to see Jesus is at the moment of your death. And if you die in your sin, you will open your eyes for the first time to the reality of Jesus Christ. But Jesus will be sitting on a great white throne. And there on a throne, his fiery eyes will send out and will judge you based upon your sin. He will uncover books and more books. And he will, right there in front of you, declare every sin that you've ever committed in thought, in word, and in deed. You better listen to what I'm saying. Jesus Christ will put all of this in front of you. And in that moment, you will find yourself guilty before the Son of God. The very one you rejected when you heard about him. And you'll say, but oh, wait a minute, Jesus, I want to believe now. It's too late. And the Lord Jesus Christ will call not to the bailiff, but to a host of angel armies who will in that moment come over, grab you up by the arms, and cast you into hell forever. And you have the truth. And yet you still reject it. Hardness of heart, rebellious, stubborn like a mule. Jesus came to die on the cross for your sin. He was buried and resurrected. There is your sign. Repent and believe or else. Y'all look at verse 30. Y'all still out there? Y'all look at verse 33. I'm going to go quick here. Jesus says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it away in a cellar nor under a basket but on the lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. This text of scripture, Jesus is describing himself. God the Father lit Jesus Christ up as the light of the world. And he came, listen, and he disclosed, he showed the glory of God the Father. So it was put up so that everybody could see. And listen, it's still put up so everybody can see. I'm trying to show you this morning. But then verse 34 changes subject here. The eye is the lamp of your body. He's speaking to you now. When your eyes clear, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Now listen, when your eyes clear, 
Here's what he's saying. Whenever you finally open your eyes to see the reality of Jesus and genuinely place your faith in him, in that moment, your whole body's lit up. You become a light in the dark world. However, if your eye is bad, then the Bible says your whole body's full of darkness. So that means you hear the gospel, but you close your eyes to it, harden your heart to it, and it just gives evidence that your whole body is dark. That's why when you die without Jesus Christ, he's not going to let you into the kingdom of light because you're dark. You don't belong there. Verse 35, then watch out that the light in you is not darkness. What? Look at it again. Watch out that the light in you is not darkness. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the religious people. Man, I wish you'd listen. He's talking to the religious people. He's saying, you have the whole Old Testament which testifies to me, and you've got a little bit of light, but you're closing your eyes to that and convincing yourself that I am not the Messiah, the Son of God. And you're walking around trying to act like you are walking in the knowledge of God when you are plainly not. You have fooled yourself. And that's the deal. You come to church and uh, some of you need to be very careful that the light in you is not actually darkness. Somebody says, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Oh, I've been baptized. I go to church. I will go to Sunday school. I read the whole Bible one year. That was not the question. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Some people are banking on something they have done or something they avoided doing, saying, this is light. I'm telling you that ain't light. That is darkness. And you intellectually know the gospel, but you still have not genuinely given your life to Christ, and there's no change in you. And if there's no change in you, there's no Christ in you. And some of you, I mean, I don't know how else to say it, except I'm trying to help you. You are on your way to hell, and I'm trying to say, get off the road, man. Jesus Christ is calling you. That's not light you possess. That's religiosity. And that's what he's saying to these people. In verse 36, if therefore your whole body's full of light with no dark part in it, it'll be wholly illumined as when the lamp illumines you with its rays. Ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus Christ comes into your heart, your whole body changes. You're lit up with the desire for the gospel. Look at the preacher eyeball to eyeball. Y'all out there say yes? If you're in the building this morning, you say, well, I go to church, but you've got zero desire for Jesus Christ to be glorified, you are not saved. If you've got zero desire for the gospel to get out so that others can be born again and come into the kingdom of light, you are not a saved man or woman. When Jesus comes into you, your whole body illuminates with the light of what he desires. There's a change in you. You reject Jesus, you'll continue in darkness and be condemned. And the people in Jonah's, they'll be like, how in the world did you not pay attention? Jesus, resurrected. How in the world did you not pay attention? You had some young preacher standing up sweating and screaming at you. You still didn't listen. Condemned. Condemnation. But if you receive Jesus Christ by faith, realizing that he paid for your sin on the cross at Calvary, was buried and resurrected, giving your heart over to him, you'll be redeemed. Brand new life. Understanding now why you actually exist. <laughs> Walking with the Lord being used by him. 
Okay, I think I told the first or second service, I can't remember. If I could come out there and shake all your shoulders, I'd do it. Be like, wake up, man. Let's be serious for a second. Have you genuinely come to Christ? I can't do it, but let's pretend I just did. Y'all all right? You need to come, man. You need to come. What is it uh, in the New Testament? I'm just a... Uh, a beggar who found some bread now coming to a bunch of other beggars telling you where the bread is. It's in Jesus. I don't know what else to do with that. Y'all all right? Let's pray together. Father, uh, call people to salvation even now.